This is Xane Anderson. Welcome to another episode of the Principal Podcast. Today, I am excited to have Estelle Park with us on the podcast today. I got to tell you, Estelle is a mother, and she's written the life story of her young son. And it's a phenomenal story, and I felt like I just needed to have her on the podcast today. Estelle, tell us about you, and tell us a little bit about this story today. Well, Cameron was my third child, and when he was being born the doctors said to me, we've had no pulse or heartbeat from this baby for 13 hours. So we're absolutely sure that this child is dead and we've checked you out and medically we cannot do a cesarean because of your lung problems. And so we're really going to have to chop up this child and take him out piece by piece. Now, I didn't think they ever did that to anybody, let alone me. But anyway, they decided that was what they were going to do. And my husband was in the birthing suite at the time. And I said to him, I think you'd better go and ring up the men from church because they're having their breakfast this morning, their their prayer breakfast, once a month prayer breakfast. It's that day. Get them to stop eating their cornflakes and start praying for the birth of this child. So off he went and he looked most relieved to be out of there, I tell you. But when he came back, he'd no sooner entered the room And the doctor had his back to me because the nurses were Velcroing up his gown. He had all those evil-looking instruments out on the counter, just ready to start chopping my son up. And, And the baby was born. Well, that was such a shock to everybody in the delivery room because no one was ready to catch him because nobody's ready to catch a dead child. And, but he wasn't dead. This was the thing. He had the cord around his neck three times. Admittedly, he wasn't breathing, but they took him away, removed the cord, gave him some oxygen, and a very surprised nurse came back and said to me, you have a son, and it looks as though he's quite healthy. Well, I was very thankful about that, and I thought to myself, this is going to be one special child. I mean, who else gets born when they've had no no pulse or heartbeat for 13 hours, and they're pronounced healthy. That that was most remarkable. That was the beginning of his remarkable life because the next thing he did that astonished us was I was waiting to hear his first sentence. His older brother had lain down in his bouncer at 10 months old and declared to me as I walked past, put the fan on one. So I thought, oh, righto, this one's going to be, you know, wanting everything his his own way and everything for his own comfort and ordering people around. I wonder what the new one will do. Well, the new one got to be 11 months old. And when Cameron was 11 months old, he was sitting up in his high chair one day. It was his older brother's fifth birthday. Cameron was there. We had a group of people there and Cameron tapped the tray of his high chair, got everybody's attention and declared in a loud, strong voice, God's not dead. And I thought to myself, well, if this little one is going to make that kind of a a first sentence, what's his life going to be like? Well, he lived his whole 14-year life proving that God's not dead. This one came out of his bedroom at age three and he said to me, Mum, why do they do the pictures of Jesus with the nail prints there and there pointing to the palms of his hands when they're really there and there pointing to his wrists? And I looked at him and I thought, well, how would he know that? So I said, are they, Cameron? How do you know? And he said, 
when Jesus was in my room last night and he held out his hands and he smiled at me, I saw them. They are there and there pointing to his wrists. And I thought, my goodness, whatever do you do with this child? You know, he, he just he was just amazing from the time of his birth, really, until he left earth and went home to heaven. All he was interested in was heaven, angels, Jesus, all of this sort of thing. He'd have conversations with me about going home to heaven. It was never just heaven, but home to heaven. And, you know, we'd be in the shopping centre or something, and I'd have him as a two-year-old asking me things about Jesus coming back and heaven and what it would be like there. And then he'd say, oh, mum, we've got to stop talking like this. And I'm thinking, well, you're the one that brought the subject up. Well, what's the big problem? And he'd say, well, it says in the Bible that Jesus will come back when we're not expecting him. And he must have been looking down and seeing that we're expecting him. So it's our fault if he's jumping up and sitting down and jumping up and sitting down. It's all because of us. So we've got to stop talking like this, Mum. <laughs> this was what I had to deal with. This, this very, very godly child all of his life. And he had a friend called Sonia. I'm thinking to myself, from what he said about Sonia's conversations, Sonia must be really, really smart because Sonia was filling his head with all of these absolutely phenomenal thoughts that I'd never, ever encountered in my life, never mind him. And so I said to him one day, oh, well, who's this little girl, Sonia? He said, well, Sonia's not a girl. And I'm thinking, well, most Sonias that I've ever encountered are females. It's not going to be a boy. And he said, Mum, doesn't everybody have a guardian angel they can see and talk to? And I'm thinking to myself, well, no, no, no. But Cameron did. And after he was killed, I looked up the meaning of the name Sonia in a baby book. And I found out that Sonia means wisdom. And then I realised that Cameron had tapped into heaven's wisdom every day of his life from the day he was born until the day he went home to heaven. So that that was that was kind of Cameron. He did have a different side to him also. He, he was a typical Aussie young kid, you know. I was waiting for him to find his niche because his sister was brilliant, still is brilliant. His brother, his big brother, is very, very clever technically and with his hands and he runs a very, very prosperous business. He's, he's a multimillionaire businessman. And Cameron didn't seem to have anything that was particularly him apart from his relationship with an ability to walk in both the spirit realm and the earthly realm. And I was wondering, you know, what would Cameron's niche be? It certainly wasn't academics because he, he and maths were on two different planets. He just, no, maths just wasn't his thing at all. But anyway, I found out when he was four years old what his great thing in life was, was going to be, apart from his walking in the spirit realm. He became an athlete. He was a very, very good runner. When he was actually killed at age 14, he was running state times in 50 metres, 100 metres, 200 metres, 400, 800, 1500, 3K, 5K, 8K, he was the cross-country champion and he was also a champion cyclist. So Cameron did find his niche. He enjoyed his 14 years of life hugely. He just loved it. 
but all the time, all the time, every day, it would be heaven, 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 always talking about heaven. In so you're, fact, you're, so you're saying when he was young, they they thought he was dead. Yes. So I'm going back a little bit, and then he wasn't dead, <laughs> but he only lived 14 years. And you've referenced that he yes. he passed away. Um, I'm sorry. Tell us a little bit about that more. I, I, I apologize. Yes, about about how he was killed. He was killed in a car accident, and my other son, his older brother, was driving. <laughs> and that just totally threw his older brother's life absolutely to the wall, you know. His older brother has been very, very successful, but to me he always seems so driven. It's like he's trying to live his life and Cameron's life all at the same time. But I, I didn't even have to be, well, I was, but I didn't have to be amazed that Cameron was killed because when he was 14 years old, we had a little mini break, a little holiday up at the Sunshine Coast, and he was actually in the spa with me on the, the Sunday afternoon that we were there. And he's underneath the water, seeing how long he can stay underwater without breathing. And he comes bursting up from under the water, water dripping all over his blonde hair and all down his face. And he said to me, Mum, I haven't got very long to live. And I'm thinking, well, well, you sound excited about it, but I'm not particularly impressed to hear that. And I'm trying to think to myself, maybe he means he's not going to live to be kind of 95 or 100. Maybe he's going to go home to heaven when he's 50 or 60 or something, in which case I was reasoning out to myself that, well, by the time he's in his 50s or 60s, I'll be gone home to heaven already. I won't have to wait there long and Cameron will arrive and that won't be too bad. How but long no, was this that he said this before he passed away? One week to the minute, exactly a week later, he was killed in the car accident. Yeah. Yes. So boy, oh boy, I got a bit of notice, but, but I really didn't think it was going to be that soon. Goodness gracious. One week to the minute. Yes. Yeah. That, wow. that was just amazing. Yeah. This must yes. have been very hard for you. Oh, personally. oh, it was very hard for me, but it was also hard for my husband. It was hard for my daughter. Although she came through it initially, it was very, very hard for her, but she's come through it really well. I'm very proud of the way that she's overcome all the shock and the horror of that. But Toddy, my son, oh, it, it's just he wears the grief of it like a great coat to this day. You know, he's just, it torments him, I think. It just really does because as his as Cameron's big brother, he always thought of his role as protecting his little brother. And, of course, who was driving when the accident happened? He was. Not that it was his fault. And one of the reasons I wrote the book was to let Toddy know that I didn't blame him. I didn't hold any grudges against him, nothing like that at all. You know, I actually felt really, really heartbroken for him that he had to be the one who felt that he caused the accident, even though I know he didn't cause the accident. And I know because I saw a vision. Now, I'm not in the habit of seeing visions, believe you me, but Two nights before Cameron was killed, we were at church on the Friday night. Cameron was there too. And all of a sudden I had this vision in the middle of church 
which surprised me because it was the first vision I'd ever had. And I suddenly saw my mother, two of my brothers, um, a couple of other relatives and a dog that turned out to be my husband's dog that he had had when he was a child. And these people were people and dog were all standing in a row in heaven, all with their hands lifted up and all obviously, you know, in a, in a state of worship to God. And I was wondering what in the world I saw them for. I mean, they were all my relatives and they all had passed away. They were all dead. And here I saw them in heaven all together. And when I went to the accident scene where Cameron was killed and I was there hanging onto a policeman in the middle of the road so I didn't, you know, sort of crash land on the road, um, I was sort of thinking, boy, I'd really like to be able to find where Cameron's spirit is and tell it to get back in his body so Cameron could jump up and run around and be Cameron again. And I'm there at the accident scene hanging onto this policeman trying to locate where in the world is Cameron's spirit so I can call it back into his body. And it was gone. It just wasn't there. And while I'm thinking to myself, oh, I can't find his spirit. What am I going to do? I mean, I knew I'd look pretty stupid trying to put his spirit back in his body. And I didn't know how in the wide world you ever do that because I'd never been called on to do it, but it wasn't there. And the next thing, it was just like sort of a thunderclap, like bang. And there it was again that vision from Friday night. And I thought, wow, I'm seeing these people again. I wonder what this is all about. And then for the first time in my life, I heard the audible voice of God from above me saying to me, they were his welcoming committee. And I thought to myself, well, okay, if heaven was standing at attention on Friday night, ready and waiting for Cameron and ready to welcome him, who am I to call him back? So with that, I said, okay, God, right, his welcoming committee was there, ready for him, he's yours. So that was how Cameron left the planet. Yeah. When did you decide to write this book, Honoring Cameron? You, well, you, said, you mentioned the book. And by the way, tell us the name of the book. The book is called One of the King's Men, because indeed Cameron was one of the king's men. Yes, he, he looked at Jesus and God as being his kings. He was one of the king's men. I decided to write it because I had started attending a church at the Sunshine Coast when I had moved to live there many years after Cameron had gone to heaven. And I was called upon to speak to the over 50s group at our church. And I wanted to talk to them about Cameron. So I spoke to them about Cameron, and as soon as I'd finished talking, one of the over 50s men there, indeed he was nearly 80, hopped up and said, you should write a book, you should write a book, and he just didn't stop, you know, you, you should put that in your book, you should write a book. So I thought, well, yeah, I, I really do need to write a book because I thought as I get older, when I'm gone, who will know Cameron's story, who will who will have been there and observed all the things? Nobody would know all the conversations that I had with him. So, so you're doing it to honor him and to honor I'm his life. I'm doing it to honor his life, yes, and to get his story out and for the benefit of his brother, Toddy, because Toddy, you know, he lives in such a way that he's really driven, but he he would never come and I thought he needed counseling. 
and no way was Toddy going to go to a counsellor. So I did my counselling degree and I became a qualified counsellor in the hope that Toddy would come and speak to me about how he was feeling and how he was coping or not coping. But no, no, Toddy wasn't doing that either. So I had to content myself to think, well, at least I can observe him through educated eyes. So that's what I've been doing. But the book is there and Toddy has read it and he knows from having read it that I, I don't love him one iota less. I just I, I just adore him, even though he, he keeps his distance. He, he doesn't have a lot to do with me at all. But he is a multimillionaire businessman. He is extremely busy. He has lots of employees. He has franchises. He has all sorts of things. But I thought it would help Toddy and it would get Cameron's story out. So that's why I wrote the book. Yeah, also, I thought it would be a help to other people going through similar things of you know losing children and having grief strike their lives when they least expected it. I mean, I should have expected it after Cameron's speech in the spa, but I certainly didn't expect it to happen a week later. No, I thought I'd have a little bit of time to prepare myself. Not at all. Not at all. Yeah. Wow. Where can they, how can they get a hold of you or get a hold of this book if they'd like to read it, Estelle? Well, it's available on Amazon. It can be purchased or it can be downloaded either way. So that would be the best way to get hold of it, I would think. Wonderful. Yes. And, and tell us where you're calling from. I'm calling from Brisbane in the state of Queensland in Australia. So, yeah, I guess that it's a bit like I feel like the Aussies are kind of cousins to the Americans, Canadians, English people, New Zealanders, all of us. I feel like we're all in the same boat kind of thing. But, um, yeah, Cameron was definitely a, a young Aussie boy. <laughs> he, he was different. I remember him coming home at the end of his grade eight, his first year at high school, and saying to me, Mum, I didn't do very well in my maths exam. Well, that would be no shock to me. Cameron had never done well in maths. So I said to him, oh, well, Cameron, never mind. You never do very well in maths. But as long as you did your best, that's all you need to worry about. He said, but Mum, I wrote the teacher a note on the end of the exam paper. And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, what now? What's he written? <laughs> I said, oh, oh righto, what did you write? And Of course he wrote you don't have to get an A in maths to go to heaven. Mm. Well, it was just as well because he was actually killed only about seven weeks after he did that maths exam and he got an E. So it's a good thing you didn't need an A, isn't it? Didn't need I left a. getting an A in maths to my daughter because she's the only person that I ever knew that got 100% for her senior maths exam. So when she was leaving high school, her last exam before she would go to university, she got 100% for senior maths. I was inordinately proud of that. She also got the Biblical Studies Award, the English Award, the Geography Award, the History Award, and obviously the Maths Award. But I never expected Cameron to do that. You know, I think probably his trouble with maths came from the fact that he was without oxygen for a little longer than was wise after his birth. And, you know, I mean, they, it took them a little while to get the cord off from around his neck because it was wrapped around several times. And then he had to have 
oxygen to get him breathing because he wasn't mm. breathing when he was born. And I think, you know, it obviously didn't affect his leg muscles. He could run like the wind. But maths was just on a whole different planet from where Cameron lived, I'm afraid. <laughs> but never mind, you don't need an A in maths to go to heaven. So that's very fortunate, isn't it? I appreciate you sharing that. I have one more thought that came to me really, really quick here. This thought that, you know, if you could tell parents anything, what, what would you tell them? I would tell them to spend time with each of their kids separately and together in, in a group or whatever, because each one is different. Each one has strengths and weaknesses. Each one needs to be known for who they are, not just one of the crowd. Spend time with them, love them, love them with all you've all the strength that you've got, all the love that you've got to give. Appreciate the time you have with them sure. because you never know what's going to happen the next day. You, you just don't know. And we didn't expect to lose camera. I expected, I actually expected when Toddy was tiny, I expected to have the day come when we would lose him because he was he was ADHD and he would do outlandish things. You know, he was very <laughs> given to doing all sorts of things that were anything but safe. And I thought to myself, goodness gracious, if this one survives his childhood, we'll be doing well. So we actually had the third child because we thought we don't want to be left with just one. If Toddy does something so outrageous that he's he's up and away and gone. But no, no, Toddy's, Toddy's now a grandfather of three. So, so he certainly survived his infancy. And the one that was the, the sweetest, calmest, kindest you know just most or oh, least likely to do something outrageous was the one that went so you just don't know you have no idea and to spend time with them to love them and to be be thankful for what time you do have with them be thankful for who they are and what they bring to the family or what they don't bring to the family regardless just love them for who they are yes while you've got them don't take don't take anything for granted because That's we don't it. know how exactly. long it's going to last. No, no, every day is a gift. I love that. Yeah, every day is special and every day is precious. Yes, well, Estelle, thank you so much for being on the show today. We'll make sure to put the link to your book in the show notes for anyone interested in getting it to sharing this remarkable story about your son and and this short but powerful life and example that he. Uh, was to you and and now is, you're able to share yeah. with others thank you for sharing that with us estelle um well thank and, you and very thank much you. for giving me, me the opportunity to share it's always wonderful for me i enjoy so much sharing cameron's unique life with anybody who'll listen uh, when he was one year old god impressed upon me i won't say i heard his audible voice because i didn't not until the accident scene but God impressed upon me to remember all the talks that we had together and to hide his words in my heart, which I did because when I came to write the book, I was really impressed to find that every sentence, every conversation with or about Cameron that needed to be in the book, I could remember word for word. And that's only because I hid all those things in my heart and just kept them there. I didn't know why I'd need them, but that was why I needed them. So, yeah, 
when your kids say something, listen. Don't just be, you know, a, a person passing by in their lives. Be a part of it. Be a real strong part of their lives because, you know, I often feel that Cameron's still with with me, you know, because I can hear his words and <laughs> I am a bit of a word Nazi, I'll tell you, but <laughs> I, I still hear his words and I remember the conversations that we had and the way he spoke and what he said. There was one conversation we had when he was 13 and he said to me, Mum, this getting prayed for stuff at church just doesn't work. And I'm thinking, you'd be the last one of my three kids I'd expect to hear that from. So I said, why? What's going on? And he said, I've been prayed for three times for insomnia and I still can't sleep. And I said, well, why can't you sleep? He said, I can't sleep for the light. And I said, oh, okay, well, I'll get some dark curtains put up in your room and maybe that'll fix it for you. So, yes, we got the dark curtains. He had dark curtains put up in his room. And the first morning after he'd had one night with the curtains, I came in to get him up for school and I went into his room and I said, Cameron, where are you? It's so dark in here. It's like a cave. Don't tell me you couldn't sleep. And he said, Mum, I couldn't sleep. And I said, well, it won't be for the light. Why couldn't you sleep? He said, Mum, I couldn't sleep for the light. And I said, Cameron, what are you talking about? It's like a cave in here. At which point he says to me, Mum, I can't sleep for the light. It's so light. I said, what light? And he said, Mum, when Jesus is in your room all night, he fills it with light and he fills it with power and you just can't sleep. So that was my light conversation with Cameron. I'll never forget it. Never. That, that was just Cameron's life. That's how he lived it. Yep. That was his light conversation. Yes. Thank you for sharing that, Estelle. You are really, more than welcome. These are incredible stories. And yes. we so, so appreciate you being here on the show. Um, yes. If anyone wants to get a hold of you, we'll make sure to put the link to that book. Is there any other way they could get a hold of you if they'd like to? Well, I am on Facebook. <laughs> but yes, if people really want to contact me, they can contact my Facebook. So just, okay. yep. I wrote the book under, yes, I wrote the book under Estelle Everingham. That's my pen name because um, I'm actually one of my ancestors, an Everingham ancestor, married the Princess of England. So Everingham's my royal name. I can't help being royal, sorry, <laughs> but it is. Everingham's my royal name, so I wrote it under that. So but under Estelle Park, you can find me on Facebook. You can find you on Estelle Park. Thank you yes. so much for being on the show. And, You're more than welcome. And we, I we hope your listeners it. enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. And farewell from Australia. <laughs> Thank you. I am so jealous of my wife because she gets the ultimate career. She gets to train and nurture and love our children more than I get to because I have to be doing things like this podcast. Parenting is the ultimate career. If you like what you heard today, please like, subscribe, comment, leave a review. Thank you for listening. You can also check out my book, What I Want My Children to Know Before I Die. It's available on Amazon and other bookstores. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>